Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. Criminal justice reform will likely be among the many issues on the agenda for the 2019 Minnesota legislature that could include changes in how the state gives people with criminal backgrounds a new start. It was a horrible mistake um, that I regret every day. The Board of Pardons heard similar responses from 18 people seeking a pardon extraordinary. That means they were convicted, served time, and now seek a pardon after claiming they turned their lives around. And after I did that, I felt very badly about that. The Board of Pardons is made up of the governor, attorney general, and chief justice of the Supreme Court. I support your pardon, sir. The process is very strange. Law professor Mark Osler of the University of St. Thomas Law School is among those who think the pardons process should be reformed. The governor of the state, the attorney general, the chief justice, sitting in open court and talking about the cases as they process them, that is not probably their highest and best use. I agree. I support your pardon. The pardon's approved. Osler says only about a third of the people who seek a pardon have them granted even though many crimes were long ago nonviolent and relatively minor. Theft, identity theft, second-degree controlled substance crime. And Osler says the process might be better if an independent board focused on pardons and made recommendations to the governor, as some other states do. Each applicant is entitled to consideration of their own circumstances, and that's what we do. Chief Justice Lori Gilday says she doesn't see a problem with the current system, but doesn't oppose looking at options. We take each case one at a time, just like we do in the court system. But that's not to say that we shouldn't re-examine. I mean, I think it's, it's never wrong to put a fresh set of eyes to a process and see if it can be improved. I don't support the pardon. I don't support the pardon. Governor-elect Tim Walls says he is willing to see if there are ways to improve the pardons process. Attorney General-elect Keith Ellison will also be seated on the board next year as they replace Governor Dayton and Attorney General Lori Swanson. Attorney General-elect Ellison will join us later in the show to talk about his priorities when he takes office in January. The University of Minnesota has completed its interview process with the woman named as the sole finalist for president. A final announcement is expected on Tuesday. Joan Gable had her final interview with the Board of Regents Friday after touring all five campuses this past week. Regents asked a wide variety of questions from her crisis management style to how she would approach achievement gaps. I look for new programs and new opportunities for our faculty, staff, and students. I work in the community, I work with our legislature, and every now and then I try to raise a little financial support for the university at which I am employed. Gable is the current provost at the University of South Carolina. If offered the job, she would begin at the U of M on July 1st. They protect and serve in communities across Minnesota, but the state's Chiefs of Police Association says there's been a dramatic drop in the number of people applying to be police officers. In fact, the organization calls it nothing short of a crisis. So this week it announced it is taking bold steps to try and reverse that trend. Minnesota police departments are finding it difficult to attract new officers. It could be bad publicity about police misconduct across the country, or the good economy giving potential applicants other job opportunities. Quite frankly, we are at a point of crisis in terms of public safety and uh, men and women joining uh, this very honorable and noble profession. A 25% drop in applicants taking the peace officer licensing exam is a big problem, but so is retaining current officers. We have two aspects 
trying to get people to come in and apply for that position and then retain them. Working in a small town, you know, you have a bank, a liquor store, a gas station. So the Chiefs Association created a video campaign called Wear the Badge, highlighting positive aspects of police work in small towns and large cities. A lot of kids grow up saying, I want to be a police officer. They play police officers as young kids and sometimes I think we just have to tap into the to, to those ideas that they had when they were small children and say hey this is a really good career. That's exactly right I played cops and robbers with my sister my sister never wanted to play. Santino Brazil is a senior studying law enforcement at Minnesota State in Mankato exactly the type of applicant police departments want. What is it that drives you to want to become a police officer? I think it goes into wanting to make a difference in your community. Um, I come from New Hope and as a community where police are out there and you see the officers riding around on the streets and you see them actually talking to people. Santino graduated on Saturday and is eager to become a police officer. The Minnesota Chiefs of Police Association hosted a conference in Bloomington on Wednesday to discuss how to find more people like him. The Wear the Badge campaign is the first time an effort like that has been made statewide here in Minnesota. Minnesota lawmakers will likely add dealing with rising insulin costs to the list of health care issues they need to deal with in the next legislative session. This week, Minnesotans living with diabetes made a plea to lawmakers for help. They worry the rising cost of insulin could continue to jeopardize people's lives. I'm here today to share a very painful and personal account of the death of my son, Alec. Nicole Smith-Hult and her husband, James, painfully talked about what they consider their son's senseless death. Alex Smith died last year because he couldn't afford insulin medication that could have kept him alive. Can you even imagine what it was like to tell people that your son died at 26 because he struggled to afford the one medicine that created to save his life? Alec was pronounced dead on the scene. The official cause of death was diabetic ketoacidosis. Nicole has now made it her life's mission to save the lives of others who can't afford medication. I believe the cost of insulin is immorally high. DFL Senator Matt Little hosted a roundtable discussion at the state capitol. Lawmakers heard about what many diabetes patients and families consider alarming increases in the cost of insulin. I go through a vial every two weeks. And in the late 90s, she said insulin cost about $21 per vial and has now skyrocketed to $300 to $400. This is a glass vial, okay? I'd like to think that I'm perfect at everything, but sometimes this thing rolls off a table and it breaks. Our insurance companies don't care. You don't get a backup. This insulin pen that we bought in the United States cost us $140. It would last us um, about a week. Leah Greenside has a 12-year-old child with diabetes and says the cost disparity between the U.S. and other countries is remarkable. This is an insulin pen that we bought in Taiwan. It cost us $8. Here's one that we bought in Canada for $13. There were no pharmaceutical company representatives at Tuesday's meeting to explain the cost disparities. In the past, they've pointed to reimbursement and discount plans that they offer, but they are not available to many patients until very high deductibles are already satisfied. One bill that might be considered would require more price transparency from drug companies or possibly even price controls. Up next, we'll be joined in studio by Minnesota's incoming Attorney General, Keith Ellison, how he's preparing for the transition from member of Congress to the state's top lawyer.
After nearly 12 years serving Minnesota's 5th Congressional District, Keith Ellison is gearing up to begin his new role as the state's next Attorney General. Ellison won a close race in November, and today we have him in studio to talk about this big transition that he's been preparing for. It's not an easy one, going from Congress to the state's top law enforcement uh, official, essentially. Uh, Congressman slash Attorney General-elect, thanks for being here. Well, it's good to be here, Tom. Thanks for having me. Now, obviously, it was a very hard-fought campaign. You had the closest race of any of the statewide Democrats. I who did. Ran. You won by, by four points. It was a very uh, difficult race, I know, for you. There was a lot of controversy. How do you go about gaining the trust and the support of as many of those people who didn't vote for you as you possibly can? Well, we're starting by talking to Minnesotans all over the state of Minnesota. We were in Duluth on December 4th. We're going to be in Albert Lee on uh, December 17th. We want to invite everybody out to see us there. Uh, we're, we're planning uh, other uh, uh, listening sessions around the state. And we want to do a few things. One, we want to hear from people. I want them to hear from me and so I can share my vision for what, what I want to do in the office. Uh, and we want to help gain the stories and the people's, the lives that people are living through. Uh, you did a segment uh, with a, a woman uh, who lost her son named Alex to insulin. Those kinds of heart-rending, heartbreaking stories help us to shape what our priorities have to be. And you can only do that if you get around and you talk to folks and you listen. Now, during the campaign, uh, either fairly or unfairly, you were often uh, portrayed as somebody who was opposed to law enforcement. You did not get no. support from law enforcement during the campaign. How do you go about, especially being the top law enforcement official in the state, how do you go about gaining the trust of law enforcement? Well, you know, men and women of law enforcement are, are folks who uh, want a conversation. I want a conversation. I've been invited to speak with our uh, chiefs of police, police officers and things like that. And I'm going to be uh, looking forward to connecting on those levels. I have meetings set up with several chiefs one-on-one -on -one and uh, officers as well. But I do believe that uh, people who are in law enforcement are brave, courageous, uh, incredibly helpful. They're lifesavers and they need our appreciation. At the same time, there's no profession, not one, where uh, there is an accountability as well. And so these things have to be balanced, and we'll be having those conversations. And, and some were concerned that if there are cases of uh, police misconduct or a controversial shooting by a police officer, that uh, you are likely to automatically take the side of, of whomever the victim is, as opposed to looking at it uh, uh, impartially at first until all the facts are in. No, I'm, I believe in due process. I think that we have to wait and look at what the facts are going to reveal, and it'll be my job to make sure that however the investigation comes out in a situation like you described, that it can be uh, credited by people on all sides of the, uh, of the question, that they will know that it was thorough, it was detailed, it was fair, and it was done uh, expeditiously as possible, but not too quick. Uh, that'll be, that's my commitment. And transparently, I imagine. Transparently, absolutely. Now, uh, do you ever have any second thoughts about leaving a safe seat in Congress to run for attorney general, especially in the midst of the campaign when the controversy yeah. over some things in your personal life seemed to be taking over the entire race? Yeah, it was, there were some moments when it was really tough. Uh, but I tell you this, I uh, always was motivated by... Uh, people like Alex's mother, uh, people who talked to me about college affordability, people who told me that they needed an attorney general who was going to look out for consumers, for workers, for our water, for our air, 
those, those stories are the things that kept me moving forward every day uh, and actually helped me uh, just remember why I got into this race in the first place. And now that things have come out the way that they did, I'm really looking forward to working with workers, with business, with farmers, with metro folks, with law enforcement, uh, with our entire community to make sure we have the fairest, most transparent, most just state in the union. Because there were critics of yours during the campaign that said once you got into office, if you were to win, uh, you would spend uh, maybe an inordinate amount of time battling President Trump and his policies and, and more the national stage than here in the state of Minnesota. Sounds to me like from what you're saying, you'd rather fight on the side of people battling high insulin costs right. and those types of things. Yes, you're right about that. But, but I do want to be very transparent, Tom. There, pro there may be moments whether it's the Trump administration or some other one, when I have to stand up for the people of Minnesota against what the federal government is doing. But that's not my focus. My focus is helping people. And if that leads me into some sort of a, uh, a, you know, legal you know, conflict with the federal government, then that's just the way it is. But uh, we start with helping people. Now, your Republican opponent said during the campaign that you would politicize the office. Of course, his campaign... Uh rhetoric was undercut somewhat by the fact that he was caught on tape saying he would fire Democratic attorneys in the office. But aside from that, is it even possible to keep politics completely out of the attorney general's office? I mean, after all, it is a partisan race. It's Republicans against Democrats. Well, let me tell you, one thing I did to try to assure Democrats, Republicans, independents and Greens is I resigned my post as a Democratic National Committee deputy chair. I resigned that post because he, I want people to know that, um, yes, I have my own views and values, and I ran on them and people know what they are, but I don't want anyone to ever believe that their political identity is something that I care about. I want folks to walk in that office. I don't care what party you're from. We are here to help you. There's no Republican water. There's no, no Democratic air. There's no way that a, a senior who's a victim of a fraud, uh, you know, cares what party uh, that, that, the, that the victim or the perpetrator is in. This is about helping folks. And so I'm looking forward to getting to that because, you know, it really, at the end of the day, we, we, need, a, we need an economy and a society that is fair for all without regard to under this partisan stuff. Now, during the campaign, many of your uh, fellow Democrats who were running for statewide office kept a distance from you because they wanted to keep a distance from the controversies you were dealing with. How was your working relationship now with Governor-elect Walls, for instance? You know, Tim Walls and I have been friends for over 12 years. We're still good friends. We work together all the time. We've met uh, and s since uh, our, both of our uh, wins, and we've talked about how we're going to work cooperatively to help the state. Um, I mean, I think it's great that uh, we're both in there. Uh, and it's funny because we've been walking the same political path for quite a long time. Yeah, I believe you were both elected. Was it the same, same year? Same year. We were elected in 2006 together. We went in together. And here we are going to state government together. Now, you will likely be asked to weigh in on the effort to legalize recreational marijuana. What advice would you give to the legislature if they ask you? My advice is that, in general, I agree with it. But we need to keep the monopolies out. And we need to make sure that we don't advertise, we don't allow an advertising program similar to the Joe Camel type thing so that they're attracting kids into this. We need to make sure that... Uh, People who've been convicted of, um, of marijuana offenses, uh, uh, use-oriented offenses, uh, can find a way for a second chance, given that they're not there, they were convicted of something that now is going to be legal. 
Um, so I think we need to make sure that uh, small business people have an opportunity to, to participate. So I would say the first thing you do is to get a commission to study this thing. Look at what California, Oregon, and Washington have done. Look at what uh, the Netherlands have done and, and, and learn from their mistakes and get the best program. Two quick other issues. You will be a member of the Board of Pardons coming yeah. up next month. Do you think that process should be reformed or do you think it's okay the way it is? I'm open to reform because I think that um, there could be some streamlining that we could do. Uh, I think that there are more folks who need to get their cases looked at. Uh, I'm not sure about the outcomes. We'll have to see case by case. But I do think that uh, uh, our state can get get more folks th th uh, a, a chance to have their case reviewed. And finally, you just returned from Washington. Will yeah. there be a government shutdown over the border wall? Um, you know what? This is a question I have to say, I just don't know. Somebody's going to have to blink, Tom, and I don't know who it is. I don't think Nancy's the one to blink, and it looks like the Trump, uh, the President Trump was pretty firm, so we'll see. All right. It's going to be uh, fascinating to watch, and yes. you'll have to balance both that and your transition into office. And uh, Attorney General-elect uh, Keith Ellison, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. All right. Best of luck to you. Thank Up you. next, Darren Broughton and Brian McClung will be here for political analysis. We'll be back in two minutes. And welcome back. Time now for political analysis. Joining me today, Brian McClung and Darren Broughton. Thank you both for being here. Uh, let's start by talking about Keith Ellison, since we were just talking to Keith Ellison a few minutes ago. You know, he may have made it sound a little easier than it's going to be to try to mend fences with law enforcement, who many people thought he was very critical of for many, many years. Uh, is, this, is this a good start that he's at least trying to set the right tone? Yeah, I think it is a good start, and I think that criminal justice reform, which is an issue that Attorney General-elect Ellison is interested in, is something that has had broad bipartisan support and even uh, support from law enforcement. So I think there are some areas where he can find agreement and work with them and try to build those relationships up. And that's true for anybody who's new into office. You have to spend some time on the front end working to, you know, go out, and especially with the constituencies that might have opposed you or might have, uh, you know, been on the other side in an election. Yeah, because, Darren, I've worked with law enforcement uh, over a number of years from my days on the police beat to dealing with them at the state capitol, and they're very much a you're either with us or against us type of mentality. And does the attorney general-elect have a lot of work to do to let them know he's with them? I think he has a little bit of work to do. I think it's what's interesting is that the attorney general-elect is spending a lot of time in greater Minnesota. When you go back to where the map was on election night, you know, there's a lot of mending offenses that has to happen in greater Minnesota for Democrats, and I think uh, the new attorney general is doing his part to do that. All right. Well, then, uh, Governor-elect Walls also has some uh, work to do. He's working on his transition. Uh, here we are. It's uh, middle of December, and not one commissioner has been named yet, officially, anyway. He may have some who he already knows who's going to serve in what capacity. But is that unusual? You went through the Governor Pawlenty uh, transition. What is this like? Yeah, and I think Governor Pawlenty had a couple named by now, um, some of the major ones. But I think the Walls team really wants to announce a, a full slate or several commissioners all at once. And maybe they're thinking about keeping some of the current commissioners in place, especially where there are things in transition like the tax conformity bill and other issues like that. So it, it would appear that Governor-elect Walls is spending a lot of time on personnel. We hear that there are three finalists for each commissioner position. That's a lot of interviews. You know, that's more than 100 interviews. 
interviews that he's potentially involved in. So there's a lot to do, but you do want to get people in place before the new year so that when you're sworn into office, you're ready to go. Yeah, if you want to hit the ground running, it's helpful to have your whole team on the field, right? It is, but we're not moving from a Republican administration to a DFL administration. We're going from DFL to DFL. A lot of those folks are going to be staying around. Uh, even at the uh, deputy and assistant commissioner levels. So there's going to be a very smooth transition. Now, President Trump hosted the new governors elect uh, at the White House this week. Uh, there were dozens of them, but one notable no-show was uh, Governor-elect Tim Walz. He said he was too busy with the transition. Uh, Brian, is this a missed opportunity, even if you don't agree with President Trump, a missed opportunity to at least get Minnesota's voice heard? Yeah, I mean, I have been at the White House with Tim Pawlenty, uh, with President Barack Obama. So even when it's the president from the other party, you want to be there, you want your voice to be heard. And I do think that it's important. I mean, just think about the fact that Minnesota is losing a hundred million dollars in federal reinsurance money that we had expected to get you want to be out there and have your voice heard and be able to advocate for it and it's my understanding that governor-elect Walls was the only one of the newly elected governors who wasn't there so I understand that he's busy there's a lot going on but you do want to take advantage of those opportunities the federal government sends a lot of money to the states missed opportunity no, let's be clear. Washington is about as dysfunctional as it can be right now. And the idea that, you know, the governor-elect going out there is going to have any sort of impact right now uh, for the holidays is a little silly. I don't know. I think President Trump takes notice of things like that. So I do, I mean, I think in this case, it is important to try to be there and to have those conversations. And I know, I know that Congressman, as, as Congressman Tim Walls had a chance to work with him. So hopefully they're able to build that relationship. So you're but saying the president keeps there. score, huh? It Who seems knew? like it, yes. <laughs> Brian and Darren, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. How a noise complaint turned into a friendly showdown between police and some gamers. We'll have that story when we come back. What started out as a noise complaint turned into a friendly competition between St. Paul police and a group of guys playing video games. Javante Williams says his neighbors called police complaining about noise. Officers arrived and settled the noise issue with no problems. But before they left, the officers joined in playing the new Super Smash Brothers game with the group. And this photo of that video game showdown has gone viral on Facebook with thousands of shares and likes. We'd like to see what you have to say about Ad Issue. Just write to issue at kstp.com. You can listen to episodes of Ad Issue every week on iTunes and Podcast One. We have links posted on the Ad Issue page at kstp.com. That's all the time we have for now. We'll see you back here again next week for another edition of Ad Issue.